0: Reunion Sunday. Oh my gosh, I've been looking forward to this for, for months, and I know you have too, and so I thank you so much for being right here. You're a part of this very, very first service back together. Last week, we unleashed uh, a new series. We're looking at the top six areas where talking with people that we see the folks, not only around the country, but specifically here at Generations, as I talk to you, these are areas that keep generations folks stuck. Obstacles that just overwhelm us. You know, even though, you know, we're, we're getting out of our house more and more these days, some of us are still trapped in a prison in our mind. And that's what we're talking about. These things that keep us from growing spiritually that we can't seem to get over. And i want to talk today about one of the most pervasive. If this was family feud, this would be like survey said, number one or two top answer right here is shame. We're going to be talking about shame. Um, now, the truth is, I suspect all of us experience shame in one form or the other, but it's one of those things I know none of us want to talk about. I don't even like to use the word shame and just saying that, kind of like something inside my, my gut, uh, but shame is something that it keeps us from being honest. It keeps, keeps us from being honest about our struggles, from our, uh, about, honest about our sins, our hurts, our abuse, Um, for, for many of us, shame has completely hijacked our identity and held us back from our God-given potential. You know, shame can be from something that you did, right? We can feel ashamed about that. Shame could be from something that was done to you. Uh, it can be from something that you didn't do and you feel shame about that. And shame, and this is true for so many of us. Shame can be just that voice in your head that says there is something fundamentally flawed about you. There's something broken. There's something missing in you that everybody else has except for you. Anybody else have that little voice that tells them that sometimes? And I'm here to tell you today you do not have to accept that shame is the last word, right? You do not have to accept the shame that you've lived with for far too long. God has freedom in store for us today. Amen. Amen. Now you're here in person. You got to sound different than it was for the last two months when nobody was in here. So, so I want to hear. There we go. There we go. I've missed that. I've missed the amens. There we go. Amen. One of my favorite uh, authors is a, a researcher. It's a woman named Dr. Brene Brown. Some of you may have heard of Brene Brown. Any Brown fans? All right, she's cool. She's cool. She's this brilliant researcher and writer about this topic. She calls herself a shame researcher, which, you know, she says like it's hard to make friends when you walk in and say I'm a shame researcher. Uh, but she's, she's awesome. She's, plus she's a Texan and she loves Jesus. So she's like one of my favorite people. Uh, but she defines shame like this. She says, shame is the intensely painful Feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed, and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Oh, anybody else that just sort of like uh, that touches way too many nerves on right there. (sighs) Unworthy of love and belonging, fundamentally flawed, and the real insidious side of shame is that it drives us underground. That's what shame does. It, It drives us into hiding, either emotionally or sometimes even literally. And one of the most enlightening scriptures that we see in the Bible about how we hide and the reason we hide and where this came from is the story of the fall in Genesis chapter two and three. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. If you have your Bibles, you can look there. We'll put it on the screen. Genesis two, let's dive right into it. It says, verse 25 says, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. There we go. Adam and Eve, naked when we felt no shame. Here we are at the beginning of everything, right? And how does the story portray humanity? What are the adjectives it uses to describe humanity, right? It doesn't say like they were big and strong or, you know, whatever. It it says that's the two things, naked and without shame. Now, we're going to look at these words because here's what's really interesting. The Hebrew word for naked here is this word arum. Everybody say it with me. Arum. Very fun to say, right? So you learn some Hebrew, Hebrew today. Arum is interesting because... It, it means naked, it can mean that, but it doesn't have the same sort of emotional baggage like we think of, you know, like something naughty on television, naked, you know, or something like that, or like the word nude, you know, which is kind of a loaded word. It doesn't have that. It is this word that in other parts of Scripture we can see, it actually means vulnerable. It can mean exposed or dependent on someone. Uh, you think think uh, like a baby, right? A baby has no concept of decent or indecent, right? Or even a little toddler has never run into the room and saw a bunch of people and went, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I need to put on my clothes, right? Toddler, they have no concept, right? But, but they are totally vulnerable, innocently vulnerable, totally dependent on its mother, right? For its safety, its, its warmth, and all that kind of stuff. Over in the book of Job, we see this word used. Job describes himself this way, sitting before God naked in this place of Vulnerability, nakedness. And so this is how God turns out originally created us to be in this vulnerable place, to be vulnerable before God. Because, see, in vulnerability, that is where we can give and receive love. We're not wearing any masks, right? right? We can give and receive masks. When I'm, when I'm vulnerable, I've pu- I put all the masks behind that we, that we hide behind, right? It, it's funny. I see in this day and age, some folks are like afraid to wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. That'll be awkward. But they've been wearing a mask every day of their lives. And that is the shame that we're going to be delivered from today. Notice what else the writer mentions. He says they were naked or vulnerable and they felt no what? Shame. They felt no shame why would he pick that word? Adam and Eve are made in the image of God, and he is letting his love flow through them, and that love is flowing through them into each other, flowing to one another. We could say it like this. Let's see. Oops, sorry. There we go. There we go. Uh, We could say it this way. Uh, The original state of God that God desires his children to be in is this, vulnerable, vulnerable and free of shame vulnerable and free of shame. That's our ideal, vulnerable and free of shame. But of course, the story doesn't end there, does it? Right? We all know kind of, even if you haven't gone to church in a long time, you kind of know a little bit of the story of the garden, right? There's a bunch of talking snakes. Well, there's one lurking in the tree, right? Someone gets a little too greedy at the buffet line, a bite is taken, all calamity breaks out. And after they sin the man and the woman's eyes the scripture says are opened and they realize that they are naked now, nothing's changed but they realize it now they're self-conscious of their vulnerability hmm and now that vulnerability doesn't create a sense of peace and openness and trust and relationship now what does it do it creates fear fear of their own nakedness, fear of their exposure. This is the opposite of the peace and the freedom they once felt being fully known, right? Being fully known, that was great. Now, being fully known is our worst nightmare, am I right? I mean, there's things we're like, I don't wanna be fully known, right? Please don't read my thoughts. (laughs) We've all had that thought. So just to recap, before the fall, Human beings are completely vulnerable, free of shame. After the fall, humans cover up. They reject vulnerability. They fear vulnerability. And they are full of shame. So we've swapped everything around. We fear vulnerability. We're full of shame. So here's what the writer is practically shouting at us to understand. The very first effect of the fall of mankind, the first result of the breaking of creation before the thorns and the thistles and everybody goes off and kills each other, before all that is shame, the first effect. And this is why this story is so brilliant to me. I love this story because the story of human beings covering up and hiding out of shame, it isn't, it, 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 it isn't just what happened in the garden, it is what happens. It is what is happening in this world. This story is repeats itself over and over and over and over. Shame continues to torment us personally and secretly and to divide us from one another, to send us into hiding. And this has never become more obvious than today, right? The day we're living it in, the age we're living in, when when we have become these experts at shouting at each other and no one is willing to be vulnerable enough to listen, to, to put their guard down enough to listen. We said last week, When we started this series, that God wants to heal, and I really believe that God wants to heal some of us of some of these things that are keeping us in bondage, and some of these things we don't even know it until we hear it, and then we, the Holy Spirit, convicts us. You know, He doesn't just convict you of sin; He also convicts you of bondage, the prison you don't even know you're in, right? And we pray that God can do that; He can heal us from whatever is holding us back. But as we said last week, we have a part to play. You have a part to play in this. We don't just sit back. He's not the genie who just does it to us, right? We have to have faith to trust God enough to allow him to expose us for who we are so we can be free. We have to let him expose us. I remember Ivan Tate saying when he was here, what you let God reveal, he can heal. What doesn't get revealed can't be healed, right? That's that stuck in my brain. What, can't, what isn't revealed can't be healed. So we're going to talk practically about how to get some real freedom. And here's where we have something greater at our disposal than just nice self-help pop psychology. As Christ followers, we have the scriptures. We have the spirit of God and truth. So let's see what the scriptures are telling us today. First thing Adam and Eve do after they sin is they clothe themselves and hide. They clothe themselves and hide. They hide who they really are. That's the clothing themselves. They literally try to hide where they are. How stupid is that, right? Getting behind a tree so God can't see him. But, but notice what's happening here. No longer was their true self worthy of, of presenting to the world. Just me, all by myself, I'm not good enough to present to the world. i gotta, I got to put on something. When we live in shame, we're no longer receiving our worth from Christ, what he says about us. We become horrifyingly aware of all vulner, vulnerability, and we hide behind masks, right? Not out of love, so I don't make you sick. We hide behind masks out of fear, so you don't get to know me, so you don't know the real me. Some people hide behind uh, the mask of humor, right? They gotta be the funniest person in the room. I understand that. Some people hide behind confidence or bravado, right? They, They need certainty. Over mystery, and, and sometimes we, you know, they'll even we'll double down on our opinions instead of listening to folks outside of our echo chamber. Some people hide behind perfection, the need to appear perfect, or or knowledge, or appearing competent. This is a huge one. And Brene Brown talks a lot about this this idea of just this need to feel to appear competent and perfect. For some people, especially in the church, it's the need to appear very religious or morally pious, right? That I've got it all together. I don't don't need to hide behind anything because I've got it all together. I'm perfect. I do everything just right. I have no questions about God because he's told me everything, right? And so we don't trust that our real self would be acceptable if it were visible to other people. For some of us, for some of us, I've talked to people who hide literally, they hide, literally, they, they avoid people. They avoid hanging with friends or family or things like that or, 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 or hide in their homes just because there is a perceived safety even in loneliness. So they avoid people because to engage others is to risk vulnerability, isn't it? Every time you engage somebody, you're risking something. You're risking vulnerability. Them getting to know you, them seeing the real you. Vulnerability Brene Brown says this, vulnerability is about uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Uncertainty, risk, and ex- emotional exposure. Well, Why don't we love that, right? <laughs> Bring it on. Yay. <laughs> it's like the three worst words. Uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure, right? No wonder we fear vulnerability. And vul- vulnerability means that we open ourselves up to judgment. We open ourselves up to shame from other people. So naturally, it's something that we tend to avoid. Is it any wonder we avoid real, deep, authentic relationships, right? We'll even have sort of like spiritual relationships, but they're really not deep and authentic. The second thing Adam and Eve do is blame each other to make themselves look a little better. We've talked about this before last year in one of our series. Um, Because shame, what shame does is make us incapable of facing the disapproval of others. It's interesting. People who are really gripped with shame, who have an issue with this, You would think that those you would be able to spot those people because they were really hard on themselves all the time. They just act all ashamed all the time. But that's really not the truth. Often they are internally, but often the way that expresses itself is they have a really hard time of acknowledging the part that they played in hurting someone because of shame, right? So what does shame make us do? It makes us blame shift, right? And this is what we see in the garden. Adam blamed Eve for giving him the apple. Eve blamed the snake. The snake for some reason, suddenly lost its ability to talk and defend itself. But I probably would have said the devil made me do it, right? If it, if it, if it had chosen to talk right then. Shame makes us blame. Shame makes us blame. And, and so we internalize. Now here's, here's where it gets uh, even scarier. When we internalize shame into our adulthood, and those of you who are parents or grandparents take care of children, things like that, this is where it becomes into play. We can inflict that shame onto our kids, in all kinds of different ways. A close friend of ours, Stephanie Walsh. She, many of you know her. She's a member of this church. She's a Brilliant lady. She's a licensed counselor to children and parents and families. Uh, she has a practice in the Woodlands. Just a little blurb for her. Um, but talking with her about this, it's it's interesting. We we talk to her all the time. Where, you know we get like give some parenting guy some advice or something like that, uh, because she works with so many children, so many children, and usually in some of the just the worst. Uh, family situations that you could even imagine, um, but she was talking about this pervasive issue of shame that gets passed from the parent to the kid, and and those kids end up you know growing up and needing whole lots of therapy and healing to get over this. And she says one of the biggest roots of this is the inability to forgive yourself. This inner inability, and so these people, you know, these children grow up to be adults and they grow up to be parents and they still have this inability to forgive themselves, and it gets expressed onto the kids. And so you got all that shame, you unleash it on others. But grace, oh praise the Lord, grace vaporizes performance. It abolishes the shame game, the blame game. The truth is that we are all, every single one of us, filled to the very brim with the love of God. We are all, you are filled with the love of God. He loves you so much. In spite of our flaws, in spite of our secrets and our sins, we don't need to live with shame or overcompensate with blame right? We need to throw away the masks. We need to, we don't, we don't need to, we need to throw away that need to perform and to hide and just receive God's mercy, receive his mercy. We got to get honest with God though. We got to, and sometimes that the first step is repentance, right? We get honest with God through the repentance, through lament. Sometimes it's just crying out and letting it all out to God because he's got big shoulders. He can handle it. We just lament and we name what it is that we're hiding from him. And then he can fill us up. With his mercy and love and compassion. What's revealed can be healed. All right? What's not revealed can't be healed. So we just we let it out to God. We name that thing, and he can fill us up. Our antidote to this poison of shame uh, is to turn our ear away from the voices, either external voices, or that voice has just been planted in your head, telling you you aren't worthy we got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Look to him for our value, our worth, our identity. Listen to what he says about who you are in him. We listed some of those things last week, so I won't go over them all again. Listen to what he says about you. We have to take the initiative to take our every thought captive to what we know to be true according to Jesus. We have to take those thoughts captive. We can't just be, like we said last week, we can't just be a passenger in our own brain don't let your brain drive, right? You're not, don't just be a passenger, let it take you wherever you want. You got to demand that it lines up with what Jesus thinks about you, amen? When it tells you to hide, to cower in fear because God's mad at you, or to put on a false face because, you know, really, we know you aren't really that, you aren't good enough, you're not qualified enough, you, know, you shouldn't be in this position, right? I get that a lot, right? You take that thought captive and, and and you remind yourself that you were not created to hide in isolation. Right? That whoever God calls, he equips. Amen. And whatever that is, it might be in your workplace, in your job, in your family, as a mother or a father. Like, oh, I can't do this. And he says, I've called you, and so I will equip you. Amen. Amen. You were created for relationship with others. You were not created to hide in isolation. Uh, in another conversation with Stephanie Walsh, I found it fascinating to learn from her that the practices they use in, in therapy and, and counseling, the established practices they use has this cycle and they refer to it. She refers to it in her practice of this thought, how your thought life plays such a huge impact in your emotional life, which in turn has a huge impact on your behavior, which is what the Bible has been telling us for thousands of years, right? I mean, this is just Bible right here put in scientific language. Isn't that interesting? Now, uh, notice, and this sort of just dawned on me as I was looking at this this week, how many of us start in the wrong place? How many of us get up and say, okay, I need new behavior. I want to start doing things differently. And we start right there at action. I'm going to, I'm going to do it differently. This, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to lose 20 pounds or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Or I'm going to stop doing this thing that I'm addicted to. And we start with there. We just buckle down and do it. Or we say, I want to be happier. I want my feelings to be different. I just want to feel happy and content. All right, I'm happy and content. I'm just going to start right there. I'm going to be happy and content. When what does it start with? It starts with our thought life. That's what the Bible has been telling us. The thoughts, our thoughts have the impact on our emotions, which in turn impacts our behavior. Amen. Uh, We have to reframe our thoughts to think the thoughts that God tells us to think. Now, this brings us to something I'm really excited about because the Lord just showed me something this week about this Genesis story I have never noticed before. It has been staring us in the face. So this is the, you're the first human beings on the planet to ever hear me preach this. I'm so excited that you just showed me it. Now I realize there's probably like a million preachers out there who like have already seen this and said, yeah, we knew all about this a a million years ago, but I'm slow. And so this just occurred to me this week and it was so beautiful that the Lord just showed it to me. Notice what the serpent promises when he tempts Eve. What does he promise her? Power, riches, authority? No. What does he hold up as the ultimate prize? This is the prize that is worth severing your relationship with God or severing your relationship with people. What is the ultimate prize? Knowledge. Knowledge. Your eyes will be open and you will know ultimate truth. Eve chooses to worship at the idol of knowledge and truth and certainty right? You've had everything. God's given you everything. You're in a perfect relationship. You're walking around, you're in this great environment. You have a, a husband, you have a God, and all this is great. You have everything you want, mm, but don't you want perfect knowledge? Whoa. When well, my eyes opened to this, I'm telling you this week, so much of our world fell into place for me and me, you know, like the issues that I deal with. We are still today trading in the joy of relationship with each other of peace and vulnerability with each other, the peace and the joy that we could have in relationship, you and me, and sacrificing it on the altar of knowledge and certainty. Right? We will burn every bridge to be right. Now here's this this false promise of, of ultimate knowledge and understanding. Today there is an epidemic in our world In the brains of of us and our fellow citizens. You might call this a sickness, and it is the fear of being wrong. And I sense it myself too, right? We're all tempted with this. There's an epidemic of the fear of being wrong, being on the wrong side of an issue, being on the wrong side of a cause, right? One side, one sign of being unable to have a, a being vulnerable with other people is the inability to have a conversation with someone that you disagree with. The inability to have a conversation with someone you disagree with. You no longer listen, you only scream. You no longer have the capacity to learn something new because to learn something or to grow might mean you were wrong about something. And that can't be. It's unacceptable, right? Which all of us are every day, by the way. You and me both, we're all wrong about something, right? Unless you were just an insufferable egomaniac, (laughs) you got to admit you're wrong about something probably. But nobody wants to acknowledge that possibility out loud, right? And so what we end up with this is the society of shaming others. We shame each other. We have a society, we have cancel culture. You've heard that term? Cancel culture, right? If somebody tweets or does something that's, uh, what's the word? It's a, it's a, a... Politically incorrect or something like that. Boom, we jump on them, cancel, they're done, right? Cancel culture. Political intractability. Sides can't talk to each other anymore, Does that might mean they were wrong. Twitter culture, right? Twitter's based on this idea. Say what you need to say in 18 or 25 words or whatever it is, and that's it. Boom, get it out there. The world needs to hear what you're saying. And there's only screaming, and there's only scoffing. One side screams, and the other side scoffs, right? Here's what you should believe. Ah, that's a bunch of bunk, right? Screaming and scoffing. And both sides have this one weapon against each other, and that is shame. If you believe this, you should be ashamed. Well, if you believe that, you should be ashamed, right? Shame culture. If you believe that. And both sides, you look in the garden, what, both sides have an utter fear, a dread of looking gullible. Don't we have that? I realize in myself, there is this dread of being the gullible one, of being wrong. What if I'm wrong on this? There's this dread about it, a fear on this. So what do we do? We double down. Double down. <laughs> I right, can't be wrong, can't be wrong, can't be wrong. I got to double down. I can't listen. What, what if though we could learn from one another uh, What if we could actually shut our pie hole just long enough to hear someone else say something? I I mean that in love, of course. Um, (laughs) In Jesus' name. To to listen and not just regurgitate, regurgitate what our preferred echo chamber is telling us to say. Right? Because we all got that too. Let's just admit it. I was reminded by a friend this week that that temptation... I had to admit to him the temptation to just be exhausted over the conversation and to want to shut down. And he was like, you can't, you can't do that. You got to stay open. You got to keep listening. And it was convicting me. I appreciated it. It doesn't matter what issue we're talking about either. Some of you are going, is he talking about this or that? Right? (laughs) Yes, I am talking about that and this. It doesn't, if we're talking about coronavirus, or if we're talking about race relations, or Chinese conspiracies, or Ukrainian conspiracies, or the Astros cheating, or whatever important subject it is that we are talking about and arguing about today, right? Our insistence on being right, our fear and dread of being seen as naive, makes us unable to approach any issue with humility and peace the way God told us to. If there is some dark, mysterious force out there trying to fool us, we become gripped with the need to be on the right side of knowledge. Instead of, what's the opposite of that? Just trusting Jesus to take care of us, right? Allowing for something that's even more beautiful than winning an argument against your opponent, and that's understanding him. It's winning his heart, right? Hallelujah. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. I am convinced that men hate each other because they fear each other, and they fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. Good Lord. And they don't communicate Sorry, with each other. I didn't quite catch that. Sorry, Siri. Could you please repeat it? I even have it on silent. Apple. I blame them. That was good. I wouldn't even playing. Amen. So the Apostle Paul commands us to submit one to another. Couldn't make it more plain, could he? What does Paul say? Win the argument. Nope. He says, submit one to another. Every person. He's talking to the church. So we should be at the forefront of this. We should have this down and be teaching the world how to do it. The world, we understand why they act crazy, right? They don't have Jesus yet. That's okay. But we should have this down. Submit one to another So what does shame have to do? It it drives us to hide, to perform, to refuse to humble ourselves. Our fear of vulnerability makes us unable to even hear each other, much less evolve in our thinking. Which leads me to my two favorite words in all of the New Testament, but God. But God, but God, hallelujah. But God, it is the great reversal in scripture that he actually shows up. While we were yet enemies of God, it says, he showed up and God restores us on this path of salvation. And that is the path to vulnerability. The path to relationship that is authentic and real. See, your shame is lying to you. It's, a lie. it's lying to you. It's keeping you from connecting to others, connecting to God even in an authentic way. So how do you fight a lie? It's not a trick question. How do you fight a lie? With truth. Thank you. You fight a lie with truth. Truth. And not the idol of truth. That's what was promised Eve. See, reject God and receive the idol of truth. No, the actual truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Fox News is not the truth, CNN is not the truth, right? Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, it's all, none of it, none of it's the truth. No, no. If I want to know what God is really like, who do I look to for truth? Jesus. I look at Jesus, right? Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. If I want to know who you and I really are, I look to what He says you and I really are. Right? And what he says is that you are clothed in Christ. Jesus Christ, the same Christ who is beautiful and perfect and righteous, God looks at you and he sees you with Jesus' clothes on. Right? He sees you as beautiful and righteous. Praise God. You don't need to perform. You don't need to perform. You don't need to hide. You don't even need to be right about everything. That's a great relief for me. Thank goodness I don't have to be right about everything, right? Because I know, I already know I'm not. So thank goodness I don't have to live with that condemnation and that shame. We can actually just fall into the arms of our Father who already knows how ridiculous most of your ideas are anyway, and He loves you infinitely anyway. Praise the Lord. You can come out of hiding once and for all. Because scripture tells us everything has been settled on the cross. Yeah. Everything, right? I can be honest with you, and I don't have to fear what you're going to think about me. Because there are no points for having it all together. There's not. You don't get any points for having it all together. You don't get like extra mansions for having it all together. No, no, no. We just get to show up as we are with God. We get to show up. In him, there is no shame. There is no, in the New Testament, it uses the word Condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is no shame. But there's always a caveat to this. We might need to do a little dying to ourselves to get to this freedom. We might need to do a little repenting. And sometimes that's even repenting to each other. Repenting. These past couple weeks have have revealed, for me, two enormous issues, problems, problems, In our society when it comes to racial issues. We talked a little bit last week about this, but it's such a problem. Oh my goodness. The first problem, of course, the obvious problem is the fact that our country is still suffering greatly from the sin of racism, both systemic and sadly, even personal right? It would be great if it was like, well, there's no more personal or individual racism. It's just systemic, but actually it's both, but it's still there. And it's infected America from its very beginning, the beginning of its founding. We, we don't like that part, right? We like to tell the beautiful myth of America's founding, but we kind of skip over that little part. The, the racist, it just sits there, racism, like a big, ugly scar that won't go away, like a cancer that, that we won't, that won't be cured, even though we kind of want to say, now oh, it's been cured, and our second biggest problem I see this week is that we cannot even properly address the racism and, and heal from it because we can't even all agree that it exists. That makes things difficult to, to fix. There's this racial disconnection we have. And I know, as, you know, I don't want to get into this. But I feel like I have to. I have to even admit a shameful part. A shameful part is that the, the church has not stood up as the beacon of light that it should have. We've not spoken truth to power or held politicians accountable. We've been complicit in our sil- silence, sort of comfy in our denial that it really matters. And it's easy to do when you can hide behind a lot of spiritual language, right? Because we could say in the kingdom, there is no race. Hallelujah, right? 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 We're not black or white. We're just bought with the blood of Jesus, right? In the kingdom, there is no race. And so we want to say that, or I've heard this week, it's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue, right? And that sounds really great. But as one African-American sister told me this week, as I was talking to her asking her, tell me your stories. She's telling me that, that it's, not, it's not a sin, skin issue. It's a sin issue. She said, that's great until you're being profiled and pulled over for the color of your skin, right? Not because of your sin, George Floyd wasn't executed because of his sin, he was executed because of his skin. So it becomes a skin issue when it's you. But this morning I know we're not gonna solve all the nation's problems, racism problems, but where we can start in this room is to make the connection between what's happening on the streets and all the demonstrations happening on the streets and what is happening in our hearts. So we can start with us. What's happening in our hearts? What's at the root of things? See, racism is based on a lie, just like the lie of shame, the lie of condemnation. It's based on a lie that some have more worth than others. That's racism at its root. Some have more worth than others. And this is where we have to take every thought captive and proclaim loud and proud that all of humanity was made in the image of God. So by definition, we are all equal. We are all worthy. We are all valuable. We are all loved. We are all deserving of freedom. Amen. God loves us like the rain falls and the sun shines. He loves us all, every single one of us, indiscriminately, black, brown, white, red, purple, and striped, all of us. And as ambassadors of Christ, we get to declare that regardless of your political point of view, as infinitely less important to me, what you've, how you vote. Infinitely more important, non-negotiable, is that God's truth is that we are all loved we are all worthy of love. And Jesus, I, I find it awesome when you read him, he was never afraid to make political enemies on both sides of, of the spectrum of his day in, a, in an argument. But what he shows is, is that there is a need for liberation of the oppressed and the oppressor. We all need to be free. There is need for liberation. The oppressed need physical, immediate tangible, societal freedom. And the oppressor needs to be freed from the prison of his mind. Amen. Amen? Jesus knows that shame is the wound that is lurking in all of our hearts, the oppressed and the privileged, the one who is victimized and, and dehumanized as well as the one who is, you know, uh, confused and, and attacked for something their ancestors set in motion. We all need healing that only God can do, amen? But as I keep saying, we have a part to play. We have a part to play. So I want to issue with a challenge this morning. Here's my challenge. I hope you really take this seriously. I'm going to try to, too. I'm going to do it, too. Before we turn on one more news program, before we listen to one more talking head telling us what we ought to think, have an uncomfortable conversation right this isn't this isn't like spiritual homework you can sort of do metaphorically i mean an actual conversation with your mouth parts to another human being have an uncomfortable conversation instigate some conversations white folks talk to some black folks black folks talk to white folks let's love each other enough to share our stories let's love each other enough to not succumb to the exhaustion of the conflict, and just say it oh, yeah. doesn't do any good. Not going to talk, right? Share your stories. Ask questions. Share your stories. Ask questions. And yes, it's going to take patience. That takes patience. Oh, mercy, please, friends, uh, be patient with me as I try to better understand what you're going through. Right, the, the things that you have experienced that I can only imagine. And even then, I'm probably coming in the room guns blazing with all the wrong solutions, right? I need to hear that. Help me understand. And white folks, as you listen to the stories of your black and brown brothers and sisters, be ready, be humble enough, even when the stories you hear are shocking. That sounds almost unbelievable that this happens in, in the same country, the same city, the town, community that I live in. How can this same reality be happening? Be patient, be brave, be vulnerable. And most important, listen. This is, this is a sign of someone who is letting God make them vulnerable. They have the ability to listen. Don't go to these conversations armored up. All right I'm going to ask these questions because I've got some stories to tell, too. right? No, no. Don't, go nakedly. a room. Go nakedly, go vulnerable, go not to argue, but to listen to what people on the other side of the experience, on the other side of the aisle are saying. And and remember the point of this is not so you walk away feeling condemned and ashamed. We're not saying, you know, you ought to walk away feeling really ashamed of yourself. That's not the point. You have missed the point if that is what happens, right? Listen to understand. So we have to turn off the echo chamber channel and, and listen to those who, who may have been hurt in different ways than we've been hurt. They've been hurt in different ways. And, and, and so it may require us to unlearn some things that we've assumed is obvious truth to us. I'll assure you in this, though. This is the good news. That we have something that the world doesn't have who's out there yelling at each other, screaming at each other. We have something they don't have, and that is a Holy Spirit that unites us. Right? So whatever your color, your background, your ethnicity, your nationality, we have the Holy Spirit that unites us. And so whew, that gets us 95% of the way there, okay? So we have, we have a personal experience of grace. If you have experienced God's grace, if you're a, a believer, you're a disciple, you've already done something someone else doesn't have the experience of, and that is being humbled and forgiven for everything you've ever done right? That takes us 95% of the way there. And, and we allow, that, that enables us to allow each other to show up <clears throat> as we are and not as we should be. So I'm not going to hold you to some impossible standard. Well, if I'm going to talk to you, you to already be perfect. No, no, no. I'm going I'm to let you show up as you are, not as you should be. Because we're never going to be as we should be in all of this. Jesus takes us on that journey together. It's a lifelong journey. Amen. For you, it may need, and for, I, for me, it might need to start with personal repentance. The willingness to change your mind, to turn your thoughts. That's what that word repent means. It's to turn your, turn your mind, turn your thoughts. So we're called to repent before God, to repent before our brothers and sisters, to change and turn our thoughts from carnal thinking toward that which is, remember last week, true, noble, right, lovely, pure, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, and we ask God to help renew our mind. This morning, just get a picture of yourself unleashed from shame. What would it look like if you were unleashed from shame? And then imagine what a whole church looks like of people, a whole community of of faith believers, brothers and sisters, black, brown, and white, all unleashed from shame, unleashed to reflect Jesus to each other and to their community. Amen. As I close, I want to pray for us today. If you're here today, first of all, if you're here and and you have a need, that you need Jesus to, you're desperate for God to meet. It might be healing. It might be a financial need or a relational need, something going on or emotional need. Some of this is speaking to you on a deep level and you need him to, to meet that need. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right where you are. Uh, some of the, you know, we're doing things a little differently here. And some, some of the things for this, for your safety and the safety of our altar team, we're not going to have you come down uh, quite yet. But if you'll stand to your feet, we know God sees you and God can heal you right where you are, right? Jesus proved that he healed people in the next town before he was even there. Secondly, if you are here today and you would say, God, I need to understand more deeply what is happening with my black or white or brown brothers and sisters, I need the humility and the courage to sit down with somebody of a different ethnicity and say, would you please tell me your side? Will you tell me your story? I've been hearing a lot of stuff on both sides and I just want to hear, can you share what you have experienced? If you would like God to begin using you as an actual instrument of healing, of racial healing, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And thirdly, if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus and experience this unbelievable, unique, the reality of his love and his forgiveness and his peace, or maybe you once did, but man, it was a long time ago, and you know you've been kind of far from God, I'm going to ask you to stand also. This is a judgment-free zone, right? We're all about the love here. Okay. If you'll just bow your heads, I want to pray with you right now. Father, we humble ourselves before you, God. We are your sheep. We are not the ones with all the answers. We are the ones with all the need. And you are our supply. You are our great shepherd, Lord. I thank you, Father God, that you have healing in your wings for those of us chicks who will come and snuggle up to you. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for every person here who has a, has a real, uh, a physical need right now. Lord God, those who need healing in their body, you already know it. You said you know it before we even come to you, but you still, you want us to come like children and ask. We thank you, Father God, that you are healing bodies today. Lord, those who have a financial need today, they are they're suffering, maybe they need a job, their hours have been cut back, whatever it is. Uh, I thank you, Lord God, that you are our supply and that you are meeting every need right now. I thank you, Father, that those who need that job, Lord God, that you have the perfect one set up, that we are not subject to the whims of our economy but we are your children and you give us unmerited favor. So I thank you for that. Lord, those who have emotional needs or relational needs that only you can fix, maybe all the therapy in the world won't help, but you can help. So we thank you, Father God, that you are healing us. You are revealing, shining your light where it needs to be shined. And you're healing us from the inside out, Lord God. Healing our thought life, Healing our emotions, guiding us into good habits and behaviors. I thank you for that, Lord God. Lord, for those who are who are humbling themselves to say, "I want to have that conversation, that uncomfortable conversation," and I'm willing to hear. I'm, healing, I'm willing to listen. However many times I personally have been hurt by others, or or however many times uh, I, I have been so convinced that I understand every side of this argument. Lord, I thank you, Father, that those who are standing and are standing before you in humility and courage, that you bless them, Lord God. Give them the opportunity to have these uncomfortable conversations, which I believe and I have experienced this week are some of the most beautiful conversations I've ever had. So I thank you, Lord, for that. Give us the courage, Lord. Give us the courage. Give us the humility. And Lord, those who would come to you and say, I need you in my life. I can't do any of this before I have Jesus. I need Jesus in my heart. I repent of my sins. I repent of trying to do everything on my own, the old way. I thank you, Lord God, that you see that. You're showing us the next right step. Help us to follow you. Lord God, that's your call to follow you. So I thank you, Lord God, you help us to take the next step and then the next right step after that and then the next step after that to just follow you. We're not going to do it perfectly and you know it, but we're going to follow you and we have our brothers and sisters here to help us. I thank you for that, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the honor in the holy name of our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father God, is good. The Lord is good. Yeah, you want to come up?
1: Just in that spirit of receiving that prayer, a reminder from the Lord from 2 Corinthians 12. He spoke these words to Paul and he's speaking them to us this morning. My grace is sufficient for you,
0: mm.
1: for my power is made perfect in weakness. Amen those places of weakness for which we stand or struggle or deal with, do you know the grace of the Lord is sufficient for you? Remember, for by grace you have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. The grace that can save you is the grace that will sustain you, is the grace that will empower you to overcome that weakness. You can't do it. We can't do it on our own but we can receive and surrender to the grace of God, which is the power to overcome. Amen. It is the power to do what we can't do on our own. Yes. But we have to surrender to that, else we stay the same. Yeah. Else we keep dishonoring the one we should honor. His grace is sufficient for us. Thank you, Lord. So that's your verse. If that's the verse you need, Lord, you said your grace is sufficient. So right here in that moment of weakness, in that moment of struggle, in that moment of shame, in that moment of criticism, in that moment of uh, sin, whatever (laughs) it is, your grace is sufficient for me. Therefore, I can do what you would do in this situation. Therefore, I can say what you would say in this situation. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I can make my thoughts be what you want my thoughts to be because your grace in me is sufficient. So I yield my default reaction. I yield the habit I had. I yield my judgment I used to have. I yield it, and I lay it down at your feet because your grace is sufficient for Mm. me. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. That's good. Thank you, Lord, for that. Amen.